0: Hi, Fairfax, my name is Andrea. And I'm Jarissa, And we just wanna welcome everyone who's joining us in person and online. We have a few announcements for you all. So if you would like to engage in those announcements, there's a QR code in front of you, in the chair in front of you. And our friends who are sitting in the front, that card that you have, that's the QR code that you can see the announcements on. All right, so I know it feels like October has just begun, but Thanksgiving and the holiday season will be here before we know it. And for some, that can bring a lot of excitement and joy as we enter into the holidays. And for others, it can be a really difficult time. So you're not alone if you're feeling overwhelmed with all the things that need to happen to prepare and make your home great for the holidays. Um, There's so much that can be going on in this season, whether you're experiencing life changes, loss, or just changes in family dynamic. And so whether you're experiencing any of those things, no matter what you're facing or dealing with, we hope that you'll join us for a practical guide to surviving the holidays. This is a workshop that'll happen here at the church led by a professional Christian counselor. This workshop will help you to find inner strength you need to in order to survive the holidays and approach the holidays with peace and hope. You'll be able to hear some practical advice and learn some helpful coping skills as you experience the holiday season this year in a healthier way. So this workshop will meet on November 9th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. and you can register by using the QR code or registering through our app. So we are hiring a few um, key positions on our facility and hospitality team. Um, If you are interested in any of those jobs, you can check out what that entails on our website. in the career, I can't get my words, in the career tab. And lastly, we just wanna thank you to all of you who give generously to this place. It is because of your generosity to this church that we're able to do all of the things that we do here. I know for me, I was so impacted by this generous community when I first started coming to this church. It just really wrote me in and encouraged me to continue a path of generous giving. Growing up, my parents encouraged me to give all that we had because it came from God originally and He was giving us so many resources and we needed to give back. Um, And that was just such a blessing for me to experience as a child and to learn Jesus' words of that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if you are interested in making giving a part of your worship experience today, we encourage you to do so by, you can do it in multiple different ways by visiting the box in the back or by using the QR code and visiting our church app and giving that way. So those are all of our announcements for today. Again, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. We're going to be jumping back into our Kings and Prophets series. So take a look at this video. Throughout history, we see leader after leader rise and fall. People cry out for a king, but leadership can lead to both life and death. And still, God has a purpose for each of our lives. He uses us despite our failures to accomplish His purposes. God is the only true authority and perfect leader. And when we invite him into our calling, he is able to redeem our story and use it for his glory.
1: Good morning, Fairfax. Good to see you all. Those of you that are here in person, if you're out in the gray room, hangar, joining us online, recording, welcome. Glad to have you here. My name's Josh, if we haven't had the chance to meet before, I'm one of the pastors here on staff at the church. And I'm really excited to continue in this Kings and Prophets series. We have a really fun passage today about donkeys. So stay tuned. But before that, um, I just wanna give a little shout out. If you are new here, um, new, we would, new or newish, okay? It's a new thing, newish. New or newish, we'd love, we're throwing you a party today. After this service, it's uh, down the hallway, around the corner, and I know there were sign-ups, but if you didn't sign up and you're new or new-ish, we would love to have you join us. It's like an Oktoberfest-themed lunch. I mean, come on. Let's go. So uh, I will see you there if you're new or new-ish, and a bunch of the rest of our staff will be there as well, hanging out, partying, and it won't be too long, so no worries. Um, and that's, that's what I got, so... We are continuing in our new series called Kings and Prophets, and this series, we're looking at 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, and in case you aren't uh, too familiar with First and Second Samuel, or maybe you are new and you're jumping in for the first time here today, welcome, and I want to give you a little bit of background, okay, it won't take too long. In the beginning, God created, okay, no, that's, <laughs> see, you're attention, you're like, whoa, 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 what are we, the whole Bible here? Okay. No, we are going to go back, though, to um, God's people, generation after generation, were enslaved in Egypt, and God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, and along the way, God gave them a covenant, gave a covenant to Moses on Mount Sinai, and called the Israelites to live faithfully to the covenant so they could flourish and be a part of his plan and all this stuff, but the Israelites go, nah, and they do their own thing, okay, and then we see how that plays out in you know, the book of Judges, for example, this period where the, you know, Israel was divided into 12 tribes uh, with d- different judges that ruled the tribes. And it was just chaos, okay? Uh, judges 21, 25 says, in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It's like back in the day, um, I you know, did middle school ministry, love middle schoolers. But um, you, know, you leave a group of middle schoolers alone for a few minutes, and you come back, and you know, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. Maybe shooting rubber bands like Hunger Games, pew, you know, around the room, and you're like, whoa, okay. So uh, that's Israel, okay? They're just shooting rubber bands everywhere. And so um, Israel's in chaos, this period of judges. Now we get to the book of First Samuel. And this book is all about... Kings and Prophets. See, there you go. Okay. And we are in this incredible book, and it's got a lot of great, um, great beginnings and tragic endings, leaders rising and falling, and how God is at work in both big and small ways in, in the midst of all of that. And we get to be a part of it if we, you know, um, want to. And so today we are going to pick up in chapter 9, and this is a really great chapter, We get introduced to Saul, who goes on to become the first king of Israel. And it's sort of an unusual um, story, and it's going to be a lot of fun, okay? So before uh, we get to chapter 9, though, just a little bit, we got to look really quick at the chapter before, in chapter 8. So Israel, chaos, middle schoolers. uh, Doesn't have a king yet, right? And so um, they have judges, and Samuel is, is one of the last judges, actually. And um, one, of the, one day, chapter eight, verse 20 specifically, the Israelites come to Samuel and they say this, we want a king over us, not you. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us, to go out before us and fight our battles. So they're looking over at the Philistines with all their Goliaths, right? And they're looking at all these other nations who've got these kings. And they, you know, to the Israelites, they seem really hip with this king trend. They got TikTok, they got Be Real. They are hip, and Israel's on MySpace. Okay, and they're like, we want a king and not these judges. And Samuel's offended, well, because he's one of the judges, and he, you know, he founded MySpace. Um, and so, you know, in this example, sorry. Okay, and then Samuel goes to God. Good, good man of God. You know, he, he's going to God. He's like, okay, God, you got to set these people straight. You know, they don't want me and they don't want you. They want some king. And God's like, hey, look, relax, Samuel. And, um, you know, we're going to give them what they want. I, I can work with that. You know, God's like, I'll, I'll work with that, okay. And so Samuel's like, what? Okay. And so now we get to chapter 9. And chapter 9, and we see the start of King Saul's story this king that Israel wanted. Follow along with me, verse one. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abel. Okay, so we got Kish, who's a man of influence and reputation in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the smallest of the 12 tribes. Okay, so we have Kish, and Kish, in verse two, had a son named Saul. And here's what we know about Saul right away. As handsome a young man, as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. So I Googled handsomest guy in the United States. Okay, why not? Um, A lot of top 10 lists. There was a top 500 list. Pastor Rod did make that list. Um, Okay. What's up, Rod? Okay. So, um, top ten list, handsomest guys, they're all actors who have been superheroes. Go figure, okay? They're a Marvel or DC hero in some movie, like every list, okay? Unless you're Tom Cruise. Okay. So, um, basically, Saul would be the guy you would cast in the movie to play whatever your hero of choice is. You know, he's got the looks, he's got the, the, the physique, whatever you want, you know? He is the ideal candidate And he's the ideal candidate to be king. They want a king who will step out and fight the battles, be intimidating. You know, the Philistines will look over with their Goliaths and be like, whoa, we don't want to mess with Israel, right? So this is what Israel wants. And this is the guy they're getting, okay? King Saul, verse 3. Now the donkeys. We're getting to the greatest part of this story. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. So Saul's dad was a rancher farmer, right? He's got donkeys. And um, he was a wealthy man of influence. And, you know, back in those days, a lot of people had one donkey, you know, to they like pick up trucks, they're necessary, useful. Um, but you know, Saul's family was, was wealthy. Man, you know, um, Kish was a man of standing. We, we knew that from verse 1. So he didn't have just have one donkey. He had many donkeys, apparently, and they were just getting lost, okay? And there's servants. So there's servants that can go with Saul to help find them. So Saul and the servant, they're going out looking for the Tacoma, the F-150, the Dodge Ram, donkeys. Okay. Uh, they've gone missing. Okay. And so, uh, you know, Kish sends Saul and the servant out. Now, one real quick note before we move on, put yourself in Saul's shoes. His future plans, big plans, I'm taking over the family business, okay? Um, great family, great inheritance. And so, you know, dad's probably training him to take over the family business. That's his long-term plan. Short-term plan, get the donkeys, get home for dinner, whatever, right? Okay. Okay. So now we have Saul and one of the servants, out look for the donkeys and they search all over. That's what verse 4 says. They search here and there. And then Saul says to the servant in verse 5, come, let's go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Saul's like, all right, let's pack it in. It's getting late. I'm tired. Mom and dad are going to get worried. And then verse 6, the servant says, look though. In this town, there's a man of God. He, he's highly respected. Everything he says comes true. Let's go there now, and perhaps he will tell us what way to take. So there's this man of God. The servant is referring to Samuel. Samuel is a judge, right? He'd be famous. They'd know who he is. Well, except Saul. Apparently Saul didn't know Samuel was over there. But the servant does. And so the servant's like, hey, why don't we go over there? And, you know, um, Want to help find the donkeys. And so uh, prophets back then, um, they, were referred, they referred to them as seers because they were able to, you know, speak into the future. You know, God is kind of speaking to them, and they could kind of see the will of God, you know, prof- and do a word of prophesy, like, in the future, right? And so <clears throat> they wanted to go to this guy, see where they could get the donkeys. Now, they, um, it was customary to bring a gift to a seer. And so we see in the next few verses, Saul and the servant are putting together a gift to give to the seer, Samuel, when they see him. Now, we're going to get down to verse 14 here, where they get into the town. Okay, they went up to the town. They're looking for Samuel the seer to help them find their donkeys. And they were entering, and there was Samuel, right there, coming towards them along the path. And, he, you know, he was on his way up to the high place, which is like kind of the worship center of the town. And the high place it was the worship center of the town. And Samuel is on his way there. And Saul is walking right towards them. They're right, walking right towards each other. Now, Saul and Samuel didn't have a Google image of Samuel. They knew about him and he was here, but they didn't know like what he looked like. And so, but turns out Samuel was waiting for them. And we find this out because verse 15 is a flashback. Okay, here we go. Now the day before that Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel about this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint him ruler over my people, Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man that spoke to you about, and he will govern my people, right? So God's like tapping Samuel on the shoulder. This is the guy, he's coming, you know, he's, he's, he's right here. So turns out Samuel was waiting for Saul, and Saul's just coming to look for the donkeys and, you know, get out of there. And now, verse 18, Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? You know, Samuel's probably smiling. Wait for the mic drop moment. I am the seer. Or if he was Yoda, found the seer you have, right? And it's, it's a good picture because Saul was tall, a head taller than everybody else. So, you know, Sam would be looking up, found the seer you have. Okay, so Samuel's Yoda and they found each other, they've met. And, um, you know, Saul's probably a little freaked out. Like, oh, okay, the guy we're looking for is the first guy we asked. Okay. Now, Samuel says to Saul, verse 19, Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me. And in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. Verse 20, As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, don't worry about them. They have been found, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? So Samuel invites Saul to the feast, at the worship center, invites him to stay the night. And he says, yeah, I got the donkeys, no worries about those. And then he says what? All of Israel's desire is turned toward you. Samuel says, Israel is asking for a king like all the other nations, and you're the guy. You're the one. I've been waiting for you. And Saul's response in verse 21 is, but am I not a Benjamite from like the smallest tribe of Israel? And besides that, the smallest clan in the, of the Benjamites, that's me. Like I'm the least of the least here and I'm just here looking for donkeys and God is calling me to be king. This doesn't make sense. And this is where we're gonna pause. We're gonna finish the story in a little while, but there is a lot that we can learn about the story up until this point. Saul left home looking for donkeys and has just found out that God is calling him to be king. How does the son of a rancher from the smallest tribe, the smallest clan in that tribe become king? We see this theme throughout scripture that God exalts the humble. In the the New Testament, how do fishermen become apostles? How did an angry, violent Pharisee become the greatest preacher about God's love? Throughout history, countless men and women who have heard and felt the living God moving in their life, calling them, leading them, invited them into a life greater than they could ever imagine. And we see that here with Saul, that God is at work. He's weaving together human initiative and these seemingly coincidental events, in this case, involving donkeys, to invite Saul to a life that he could not Imagine. And the same is true for us that God is at work in our lives. In our story, He has an invitation. He's calling us to live a life with Him that we could not even fathom. And the call is to walk step by step with God in both the big and the small ways. But sometimes our life's journey and our path to living out this path that God's called us to, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense sometimes like looking for donkeys and finding something very different. And so in here in Saul's story, I want to point out a few things that we learn about the path to living out our calling. Number one, God's plan, God's calling our lives doesn't always make sense Because it's usually different than what we had in mind. What was Saul's plan for the future? Saul's plan was to lead the family business. And God is calling him to lead the nation. His plan was to find the lost donkeys and be home for dinner. And in fact, God had set up this appointment with Samuel that he had no idea was coming. Sometimes we cannot make sense of what God is doing because our plan is, doesn't line up with his. Sometimes we can't make sense of what God is doing because we don't know the future. But we wish we could know the future, don't we? You know, we make plans, you know, in the business world. Shout out to business school at Mason. You make projections about the future. Like you want to make a plan and make projections and try the best that you can to like tell the future, Right. In our personal lives, we we plan out all kinds of things and try to project all kinds of futures. Like we're going to get married and how many kids we're going to have and when we're going to have those kids. And our career path. And we do all these things as humans to try to project and plan out the future. It's because we think if we know the future, if we can have a little bit of grasp on the future, that we can have some kind of control over it. And man, if we had some control over the future, over anything, that means we don't need to trust God. And no one wants to trust God. I mean, if you're really down the path of following Jesus, yeah, you're like, okay, I'm trusting God. But like everybody, right, it's hard to trust God. And like we want to have some kind of control, some kind of way to know the future, to project and plan the future. And we ask questions, right? Like we're asking questions of ourselves all the time to try to formulate plans and purpose and path forward. We're we're like, what do I give my money to? What do I spend my money on? What am I putting my energy and my effort into? What am I supposed to do with my life? Why isn't this dream coming true? Is this the career, the vocation that I should be in? What pitfall, what disaster, what thing should I be trying to avoid that's like right around me? Is there something I need to focus on in this stage of my life? And, and most of the time, these things go a bit different than we think or than we hoped they would. Even if, we, even if we, we've got like, man, I believe that God is pulling me and guiding me in this direction. And we maybe start to project the future of even how God is pushing us, Right? But God rarely tells us what's gonna happen in the future. But if we allow Him to and have faith, He will guide our steps. He will guide our next steps. Look at this passage in Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. It's not a light. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten steps ahead. God is going to light up and lead you step by step. And as much as we want to know the details about the future, as much as we want to be able to know what's going to happen, God is asking us to trust Him. He says, I will guide you to the next step. The journey is full of unknowns, uncertainty, and often different than we think it should be but God's asking us to trust him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:7, for we live by faith and not by sight. Having faith is about learning to surrender to the living God who is present with you, who loves you, who has a purpose for you. Faith is about willing is about being willing to walk with God step by step through the fog. Right? It is foggy ahead, but God says, "Trust me. I've got you through the fog." And when we are open to God's leading, when we are willing to trust God, He's going to work in unexpected ways, different ways that are different than we could possibly have imagined. But He is going to lead us and shape us into who He is calling us to, be, who He's calling us to be. So, number one. It's going to be different than we probably imagined it to be. Number two, it is going to be harder than we imagined it to be. Saul looked everywhere for those donkeys. He could not find them. He looked here, there, and everywhere, verse 4 tells us. And he was right ahead home. Pack it in. But what if he had missed what God was trying to do that day? And as we journey with Jesus and we are seeking out his calling and his purpose on our lives, sometimes we can romanticize this like ideal perfect future that's all warm and fuzzy and it's got this Instagram filter on it. And, you know, when we get there, we're going to be so joyful and happy and fulfilled and we'll never be sad ever again. But and we'll do this with with a lot of things, with, with marriage, with planning our family's future, with career, this big dream, maybe it's something big we want to do for God, and we like imagine this romanticized you know, future of how this ideal picture of how God's going to bring about this plan that He has called us to. And we get this idea that, you know, in our mind that the future is like always up and to the right, right? But our life will just get better. And better, and things are going to break our way, and you know, um, it's an exaggeration, but you know, my plan plans to get wealthy. Well, then when I get wealthy, I'm going to be going to get really wealthy, right? And then maybe I'll get famous, or you know, and all these my kids will get famous. I don't know, whatever. And so you like are it's an exaggeration, but you are kind of romanticizing and Im- imagining the future, um, and it's it's this kind of best is yet to come. In my perspective, kind of future. But the truth is, the future is not always our version of the best is yet to come. Aaron, um, a friend of mine who's in my small group, he is into writing um, his own like screenplay scripts, and you know he's he's told me about different kinds of plot, and you know when you when you know these plots, you know, and, and how writers write you kind of see movies and stories and narratives a little bit differently. Now, I won't get into all this stuff because I'm not an expert, but there's two main categories of plots. Commercial plots, literary plots, okay? So commercial plots are like when the story, think about this is like almost every superhero movie. In the story, you got the hero and they hit an obstacle. And then... They overcome that obstacle. And then you're like, oh, phew. and then they hit another obstacle. And you're like, oh, no. And then they overcome that obstacle. And then at some point, they will approach the final obstacle and they conquer it somehow and they save the world, you know, they save the dog, whatever, right? And every superhero movie ever. Literary plots they don't always have this really neat and tidy ending. It just kind of stops. And when it stops, sometimes, you know, maybe if you've watched a movie like this or or a show or something, and, you know, it ends, and you go, oh, that's kind of cool the way that it ended. Or maybe you go, wait, is that it? Is that how the story ends? Right there, I'm kind of sad now, you know. Um, and you go, what's the point of that, right? It was like up, and it's down, and the story is not about this like conquering some final obstacle. The story is about the inner journey of the character, and and rather than yeah, they go on to conquer the thing, it's about what's going on in their heart. And sometimes the ending is hopeful, and sometimes it kind of ends on a down note. And the point of these narratives isn't to always give you this like big positive, I'm going to conquer the world kind of vibe. But the point of a literary plot is to empathize with what it means to be human. That's why most of the Bible is more literary storytelling. Because most of our life is more literary. We rarely feel like the superhero in the story. We usually feel more like Saul. Saul. You know, Saul's out looking for donkeys. He's offered a crown. He says, "What? Me? I'm nobody. But then, you know, he starts strong, but he spirals out of control really fast, and he loses trust in God. His insecurities and his arrogance and his jealousy leads him in this downward spiral spiral. And you get to the end of Saul's story and you go, "What? What happened?" You had this calling, you had this anointing from God, and what happened to you, right? Man, it is hard to trust God when things get difficult. And the point is that the path to our calling is gonna be harder than we expect, and God is inviting us to trust him, not bail. Trust him in the midst of the awful. It doesn't mean that God's not at work. God is at work. In every situation, he is work. He can weave these things together to accomplish his purposes. And it doesn't mean that you're going the wrong direction. It might mean you're on the right track. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. God is walking with you step by step. If we allow God to lead us, if we are willing to trust God, even when it's different, and number two, when it gets hard, that God is going to lead us to something that we couldn't have possibly have imagined. So number one, different. Number two, harder. Number three, longer. This is a quick one. (laughs) Get it? Just checking. (laughs) Okay, so longer. Sometimes it's longer than we think it might be. God works slowly oftentimes. Let's look at Samuel, okay? Okay. You know, Samuel, he seems like, a, man, this is a guy of great faith. God's talking to him all the time, it seems like, and telling him all this stuff. And uh, what we don't realize is, okay, yeah, he was born in chapter 1, you know, First Samuel chapter 1. In verse 8, a few pages later, it says, that, literally, first verse of chapter 8, Samuel's now an old man. What happened? Right? It's like all this time goes by. And sometimes you don't realize, like, we're reading these stories in the Bible. And This is a long time. This isn't like instantaneously happening, okay? Yeah, we're seeing the highlights, but man, God often works slower than we want him to. It's easy to forget that God works longer and slower than we expect. And waiting on God is really hard. Um, You know, my personality type, I don't know about you, but I'm usually a future thinker. Okay, living in the future, easy for me. And living in the here and now is challenging. And my wife, Sarah, is a saint. She can live in the present, like, amazingly, okay. And she's constantly trying to pull, she's like, where are you? Come back, you know. (laughs) And um, she's awesome. And so, um, you know, living in the present is really hard and it requires us to really trust God. But God's got divine appointments lined up. He doesn't want us to miss what is happening right now. We might be longing for what is to come. We're longing for something in the future. And God, God, why are you moving so slow? Come on. God's like, what do you mean? I've got something for you right here. We might be looking for donkeys, expect, you know, and God's like, I've got it right here. What you might think is nothing is something big. Big. And God does not want us to miss it. And it can be so easy sometimes, right? We're on this journey and we can get tempted to compare ourselves to other people. Like we compare our calling to someone else's. Man, they got it all together. Man, why do they get, they get that vocation? They got all that? I mean, man, they've accomplished all this. They've got this amount of money, this house, this family, whatever. And we compare ourselves, but here's the truth. You have your own journey. You have your own identity that God has uniquely crafted and called you to. And believe me, God is working in the midst of it. The path to living out our calling, it might be different, it might be harder, it might be longer, but God is asking us to trust his leading, to surrender control to him, And when we do, he will lead us in his timing to somewhere greater than we can even imagine. And here is the fourth thing. That it is better. Might be harder than we thought. It might be different than we thought. It might take longer than we thought. But it is better. God's path and calling for us is better than anything we could ever imagine. So, regardless of what we think the future holds, it will never satisfy us or make us content if it's apart from God. There is no plan. There is no dream. There is no relationship, no career. There is nothing that can do what God can do in your life. And here is the beautiful thing. You do not have to wait for that future, that is available to you right now, regardless of your circumstances. Let's look at this verse. Paul says in Philippians four thirteen. it's a well-known verse. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through Christ who gives you strength, right? It's probably a verse you've heard before, but here's the thing about this verse. It's often taken out of context. It's often used as a verse to like apply to something we wanna do. That we wanna start this business. We wanna make this dream come true. We wanna, you know, find this relationship, whatever. And we will use this verse and like say like, oh yeah, God's behind us, I can do this, right? God giving me the strength to do what I want. And like, that's not how God works. God doesn't work that way. We can't take God and apply him to what we want. Paul isn't talking about that. Paul, you know what Paul says? It's it's about contentment. That's what this verse is about. Paul says, I've been poor and I've had plenty. But I've learned to be content in any and all circumstances. And then Paul says, I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Paul says, I have learned to be content through the strength of Christ. Our calling first and foremost is formed and shaped by our commitment to love God and love our neighbor, regardless of our circumstances. It's not about searching for this ultimate, you know, personal fulfillment that we've dreamed up. Whatever season you are in right now, Jesus calls all of us as his followers to love God and love our neighbor. Our journey with Christ is about learning to serve God, to love in the very place and situation that God has called you to right now. It's perhaps the greatest wall and mountain we face is being content in the here and now regardless of whether you're in your dream job or not, regardless of whether your marriage is a dream come true or not, whether it's whatever number your bank account says, however parenthood is going or not going, whatever's happening. Whatever you are in right now, you have everything you need to live what Jesus calls the abundant life. You know, sometimes one of the ways that God strengthens us is to let us sit and wait and give us the space to come to the end of ourselves. Because we try over and over again to will our plan and our control over our future. And again and again, we hit a wall. And God says, sometimes you gotta let your dream die to free your heart from needing it to come to pass, to be fulfilled, to have purpose and meaning or whatever. God says, I've got you right here. I have everything you need to live the life that you have dreamed of. And sometimes we have to let our dreams die. We must come to the end of ourselves before we can be content with God alone. And it's then, it is when we are in that yes position to God that we become ready to steward his big plan for us. Because through the process, God has given us the wisdom, the humility, the Christ-like character to live out this calling he has for us, which is greater than we could possibly have imagined. So, man, our our futures about the our, our plans about the future should not be centered around a big house a bigger house more money the phone some kind of ideal relationship but living in tune with god the god who is shaping you right now if you are willing to trust him so the invitation is to be open to be in the yes position to allow the holy spirit and allow God to guide your steps. When it's different than you expect, remember that God is after your trust. When it gets harder, don't bail. See what God is doing in the midst of the awful. Resistance isn't always a sign that you're going the wrong direction. It very well mean that you're headed in the right direction, and the enemy is doing everything possible to try to get you to bail. God says, trust me. And when it takes longer, remember that we inherit the promises of God through faith and patience. And through the process of trusting God, we see him work in ways that we can never even imagine. The best thing about it is through the process, he is shaping us into who he has created us to be. How is any of this possible? How could we possibly live this way? How could we possibly trust in God and do all of this and experience this calling that's better than we could imagine? Look with me at the end of this story. We stopped in verse 21. Saul can't believe that God has called him to be king. And then in verses that follow, I'll paraphrase. that Samuel brings Saul up to the high place and there's this big feast and they seat him in the seat of honor. And so they honor Saul and then Saul hangs out, spends the night at Samuel's. And then they're off the next day to go back. But Samuel says one more thing before you go. Verse 27, as they were going to the edge of town, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you, Saul, stay here for a while so that I may give you a message from God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it over Saul's head and kissed him, saying, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Samuel is anointing Saul as king. And this is a brand new practice. It hasn't happened before. They've anointed the tabernacle. They've anointed priests. And they've set those apart for a special purpose, but not kings. The nation of Israel was looking for direction. They're looking for hope. They're looking for truth. And they've cried out for a king. What did it say, the verse prior? All the desire of Israel has turned towards you. And although Saul had initially responded to his calling in faith, he quickly lost sight of God. His insecurities and his arrogance and jealousy took over, and Saul became more focused on his own glory. And at the end of Saul's life, in 1 Samuel chapter 26, in 11 words, Saul sums up his life. He says, I have acted like a fool. I have been terribly wrong. The anointed king of Israel failed. Where is the hope? How can we possibly be different than Saul? To live out this calling that God has for us. Here is the thing. That the anointing of Saul as the first king was pointing to the king who would be appointed last. In Hebrew, the idea behind the Messiah, the one who would come and save the world, it means translated anointed one. One day, a king would come and he would be the perfect king. He's not the king that Israel wanted, but he is the king that they needed. The sins of the world were placed upon him. All of our failures, all of our brokenness were placed on King Jesus, the anointed one. He died and he rose again so that we might experience abundant, everlasting life in his name by placing our trust in him. It might be different. It might be harder. It might be longer than we thought but it will be the best life imaginable and it can start here today. We are invited to live a life and a calling beyond what we could possibly fathom. And the invitation is to say yes to God's leading in the big things and the small things to say yes to God's leading. You may have no idea where he is leading you into the fog, but church, we are in good company when the fishermen dropped the nets to follow the rabbi. They couldn't have imagined the journey. They couldn't have imagined what would happen next. They found themselves put to work following Jesus, building his kingdom. It didn't make sense to them at first, but eventually they found themselves sent as apostles to lead a world-changing movement that we can be a part of here today. In the same way, we too can say yes to Jesus, to the calling that God has for us. And through the process of trusting God, step after step, he begins to shape us and mold us into who he's created us and called us to be. And friends, it is better than we could ever imagine. So today... Maybe you are sitting here going, I need to put my trust in Jesus. I need to say yes to Jesus today with my life. Well, today is the day you can make that decision. Maybe there's an area of your life, maybe you have said yes to Jesus in the past, but today you need to recommit and say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. I want you to lead me step by step. I encourage you to make that decision. You can put it on the cross. You can um, sit in your seat and just pray to God. Cry out to God. He's not the king that we want, but he is the king that we need. Amen. Pray with me. Dearly Father God, you are an amazing God. God, the way that you can work in every circumstance, the way that you weave together, the things that are happening around us to do amazing things. God, I thank you for being a God that we can trust fully, for being a king that is worthy of our praise, that is worthy of our trust. God, you know the heart of every person watching online, sitting here, Father. God, we give you everything, God. We give you our lives. We give you our trust. God, we know that you promised to lead us step by step. May we have the eyes to see what you're doing in our midst. It might be different. It might be harder. It might be longer. But God, we know that you are good. We know what you are doing right now is good. May we go out from this place and partner with you in what you are calling us to do and who you are calling us to be. We can only do it through you, Jesus. So God, we invite you into this place. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.